a coach or you work in an office as a secretary or, or a receptionist. Whatever it is, I mean, we all have many titles. And each title requires a different set of skills, right? I, I can't use my same set of skills as a husband that I use as a counselor. So I, 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 I have a different title with Heather. So we all have these titles. And we know as you read the scriptures that Jesus had many, many titles, didn't he? I read just a few of those last week, but we know some of his titles were Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the First and the Last, the Great I Am. Jesus had many titles. We're going to get into this this morning because whatever your title is, it will indicate what it is that you do. Okay? It indicates something that you do. It's your title. Some of you in this room, we have a couple coaches in this room that coach our softball teams. Your title on the field is coach. And so that's a title that you carry, and it has a different set of responsibilities. Jesus' most famous title, the one that defines him the most, though, is Jesus the Christ. Say that with me. Jesus the Christ. That's a title that is the greatest title of all. He is the Christ. Christ is his title. The name Christ comes from the word Christo. Uh, it's a Greek word, which means anointed one. So he is the anointed one. Now watch this. Uh, in the Old Testament, what they would do, the kings and the priests, they would anoint somebody with oil. And they would, they would anoint their head with oil. Oil would be placed on them by men. Men would surround them and anoint them with oil. Then they would have an anointing that would last a lifetime. You remember King David was anointed. You remember the story when he was anointed, and that anointing was from men, and it would last him a lifetime. And the reason why they were anointed, it would signify to be set apart, right? So we have been anointed to preach the good news. We have been anointed to be people who are set apart for a purpose, for a job, for a life. That's the greatest title. I mean, the greatest title that you and I have, I believe, are sons and daughters of God, followers of Jesus. When somebody asks me, they'll say, what is your, what is your denomination or what is your affiliation? My first response is not, I don't give them a whole bunch of, of titles about churches. I say, I am a follower of Jesus. Amen? Because no matter who you come in contact with around the world, we are People who are Christians should all be followers of Jesus. That is our greatest title that we carry, is I am a follower of Jesus, and everything else should fall in line. So here we find Jesus now in the New Testament. He is known as the anointed one. His name, Christo, means anointed one. And what it was, it was that the Hebrew people were waiting for someone that would redeem them and set them free and set them apart. But the difference about Jesus is he was not anointed by men. He was anointed by God. There's a big difference there. His title carries that responsibility. He's anointed by God, his Father. So Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. And this is in the New Testament, of course, one of the Gospels. It's the A.D., which means Anno Domini. And B.C. is before Christ. Uh, some people believe that A.D. means after death, but that's not possible because Jesus was still alive. And so here we have in the A.D., Jesus is on the scene. And I actually referred to this earlier in the service. He's on the scene, 
and he, he goes to the temple in his hometown. It's early in his ministry, and he's there with, with, with the people in his hometown and some of the disciples. And the Bible says he pulls out the scroll, and he brings out the word. And, and it's the book of Isaiah. And he says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. God, he's saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has set me apart. How many know the spirit of the Lord is upon you, amen? How many believe that? And the reason for that is to set you apart. You don't set yourself apart. You know, we sing songs like, I choose to be holy. No, God makes us, makes us holy, amen? He chooses us and he sets us apart for a purpose bigger than what we thought we were living for. Let's read chapter 4, verse 14, and then we'll read a few verses. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. So his popularity is, you know, at a pretty high place. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, this is the part I read earlier, he went as usual to the synagogue on, on the Sabbath, which is we call Sunday, but it's really the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He enrolled the scroll, and he found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down with power, I believe. <laughs> All eyes uh, in the synagogue looked at him intently. Remember, that, that his popularity had been growing, but here's the hometown boy, comes back, he reads the scripture, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's, he's, he's really saying, he's letting everybody know, you know the Messiah that you've been waiting for? It's me. I'm here. He's letting them know that he's the one, that his title is anointed one. And he says, I have not come from an anointing from man, but I have come from an anointing from God. Christ is his greatest title. Amen? Let's get that right out of the way. His greatest title is he is Christ. He's come to save us. He's come to redeem us. And we all are in need of a Savior. Amen? Because we know that. Follow me on this. And two weeks ago I did share some of this. I just want to remind you about this part. That God looked down on the earth. And, and a lot of people say, well, pastor, the biggest need in America, we have an e economy problem in the world, or we have economy problems. And, and so, but how many know God didn't look down on the earth and say, well, that's the, the issue. I'm going to send you an economist. God didn't look down on the earth and say, you need a psychiatrist. Or uh, he didn't look down on the earth and say, you need a politician. He didn't send us a politician. But what happened is, God looked down on the earth, looked down on us, and he deemed that our greatest need, our greatest thing that we need was a Savior because he looked down and he saw that man has a sin problem. 
And so what he did, God didn't say, I'm not going to send you an economist. I'm not going to send you a political figure. I'm not going to send you all the, I'm going to send a savior because the greatest problem in the world is a sin problem. Amen. So therefore he sent his son as our savior, anointed him to redeem us and to set us free from sin. Amen. And to be set apart from the things of this world. He sent us Christ the Messiah. So you say, okay, so you talk about ADBC, and how, how does this apply to my life? Listen, all of us in this room have a, if I say this wrong, it's going to be really bad. Let me reword it. We all have a before Christ. <laughs> we all have a before Christ life. Amen? I caught myself there. All of us at one point lived a different life before we met Christ. But how many know when he interrupted your life, he turned everything around? Before Christ, I was a different person. Before Christ, I treated people differently. Before Christ, I lost my temper on the field. Before Christ, money was so important to me. Before Christ, all these things. But when, when Christ became the center of our life and you gave your heart to Christ, everything turned around. Because now you're not just living your story, now you're living his story. Amen? And his story changed my story. His story changed your story forever. And that's what we call our testimony, right? For we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I mean, no, you have a story to tell. Because your story isn't just your story anymore. Your story becomes his story. I live for him. He's changed my identity. He's changed my life. He's changed everything about me. He interrupted my, my regularly scheduled program and changed my life, and now I live for him to be set apart. How many know I was once blind, but now I can see? Amen. I was once lost, but now I am found. I was once addicted, but now I am set free. I was once full of shame, but now I have a new name in Jesus. I was once, I was once dead, but now I'm alive. Amen? Come on, somebody. Let's give God a praise. Amen? If you say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've been set apart for a purpose. Boy, I tell you what. On Wednesday night, I was telling our, our Bible study I, I talked about how we can't sit this one out anymore, church. In the culture that we live in, believers cannot sit it out anymore. We have no, no more bench players. You're all in the game. We cannot sit it out. We have to evangelize. We have to, we have to be set apart. We cannot sit it out anymore. We cannot sit out during worship. We cannot sit out during evangelism. We cannot sit out during anything. We have to be highly involved and motivated because we live in a world that is pulling people left and right in all different ways. Come on, amen? We have 5,000 churches closing a year in the United States. That's 14 churches a day. So we need to be ready. And we have to say, God, I'm not sitting this one out. You know, I, I, was, I was Thursday night at our girls' softball game, and they, they played so well. And, and I, before I even talk about the girls' team playing so well, I heard this morning that our guys' team two weeks ago, I was, I was very happy to hear this, that somebody told me they, they took a loss, and it was pretty substantial. Oh, sorry, guys. But that's not, there's, there's good news to this story. They, they, took the, they took one, uh, took a pretty bad loss, 
And uh, the pastor from the other church was there, and he told the, our team, our here Harvest Land guys, he said after the end of the game, he said, I just want to tell you guys, I have not seen another team that uh, exemplifies a Christ-like attitude as much as you guys do. I'm like, that's what it's all about, amen? That's what it's all about right there, is being a light. And so Thursday night, I was at the girls' softball team, and I got to say, they always have a great attitude. They've won that award a few times for best sportsmanship and all that. But I was sitting there just as a fan, keeping score and doing my best, and it was a good game. It was real close. And there was a very close play at first base, very close. And, and it could have gone either way. It could have been safer out. And our girl, one of our girls was the one hitting, and she ran, and they, the ump called her safe. And I was like, yes, that's awesome, you know. And, of course, some of their fans were sitting close to me. And one, one person said, if, I, if this wasn't a Christian league, I would give that ump a piece of my mind. And I wanted, oh, Lord, thank you for zipping my mouth. Because how many know sometimes we just need to not speak a thing and just let the Holy Spirit do a thing? Amen. Come on, somebody. We don't need to stir the pot always. But I just, I just sat there and I was like, oh, Lord, that's not why we're here. It, it doesn't matter that it's a Christian. We don't act a certain way because it's a Christian league. We don't act a certain way because we're in church. We don't act a certain way because we're around Christians. I don't want you to act a certain way because you're around the pastor. We act the way we act because we're Christians. And it doesn't matter if it's a secular league. We're Christians, amen? And we act a certain way not because of where we're at, but because of who we are. And we are set apart for a purpose, Amen. Amen. All right. I'll get that off my chest. Done. Let it go. All right. So I want to share with you this morning just one of three, just one of three, I have time for one, of these amazing titles of Jesus this morning. And I want you to say the first one with me. He was a suffering servant. Say that with me. He was a suffering servant. So we read in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath reading from the scroll out of the book of Isaiah. And it's interesting that Isaiah himself mentioned Jesus. And this is 700 years B.C., 700 years before the ministry or Jesus was on the scene. He was in heaven before he came. And so the prophet Isaiah began to write and prophesy 700 years earlier. And somewhere around Isaiah chapter 40 um, in, in this book, you'll find that he begins to lean towards the subject of suffering servants. And as people would read it, they might, they might think that Isaiah was talking about the Israelites. As you read a little further, you might think he's talking more about himself as a suffering servant. But as you get to chapter 53, it becomes very clear that Isaiah was prophesying about one to come. And I want to read the verses in that chapter so that you can catch this. This is 700 years before Christ, Isaiah 53, starting at verse 4. Surely he, and we all know that he is Jesus, he, would he took upon our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Amen. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Amen. I know, like I said, sometimes it's good just to, don't need to always say something. And so he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as sheep before the shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. But by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions. This is, this is Jesus the Christ here. Of, of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. The prophet Isaiah makes it so evident he's talking about one to come. Isaiah is telling about one to come who would serve us by suffering for us. And what we know is, it was about a, two months ago, we, we, we celebrated Passover. And this portion of scripture, Isaiah is writing this after Passover had actually happened, and he's writing this after. And so Passover really was a foreshadow of Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of, the, of God, amen, who takes away the sins of the world. And that is what it is. So Isaiah is prophesying this in verse 7, and he's speaking this about what, would hap- what happened. Because he's speaking this, that the blood of the Lamb covered us from the wrath of God. And we should all say amen right there. Hallelujah. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. And so he is the Lamb of God. He set us apart. Jesus speaks about himself being this, this idea of a suffering servant. He himself, he himself said, well, I, I have not come to, ser- to be served. I come to serve. Uh, if you remember in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8 gives us another indication of this. There's a great story about this Ethiopian eunuch who's by, on the side of the road. And this Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah chapter 53. And there he is on the side of the road. And, and, and the Bible says that he, he doesn't understand what he's reading. As we just read Isaiah 53, that same portion of Scripture, this Ethiopian eunuch is reading. And he doesn't understand what he's reading. And it just so happens that one of Jesus' disciples shows up, Philip. Philip is there, and the Ethiopian eunuch is like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't understand what I'm reading. I, it doesn't make sense to me. And what Philip says is very interesting. He says... Here's your problem. The power is not in the words. The power is in who the words are about. And the Bible says that right then and there, the Ethiopian eunuch understood that Jesus is the one, and he converted and got saved right there. How many know when we show people the true meaning, our testimony, who Jesus is, what he's done for us, amen? There's a lot of people that they don't understand the word. They don't understand what, what going to church is all about. They don't understand the, 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 the kind of language sometimes we use as Christians, right? We use certain words in the church. A lot of people just don't understand us or get us. But I tell you what, people understand what it means to be loved. People understand what it means to be respected. 
And we need to offer and show respect and love to people. And that's how people will say, I do want Jesus. Amen. I do need something in my life that will take that void out. And so this, this shows us this whole theme of a suffering servant. See, Christianity is not just about you serving God. It's about God serving you. And if you ever try to outserve God, you will be miserable. Amen? Because how I many of that will put you on, a, on a, a wheel of performance? I'm trying to serve. I'm trying to show God how, how much I can do for him. Uh, see, we can never outdo this. You will live a very frustrated journey if you try to outserve God. You'll find yourself very frustrated and burned out when people have this kind of mindset. See, because religion is birthed out of striving of what you can do for God. But the gospel, come on, the gospel is birthed out of receiving from God. Amen? And out of receiving, there's an overflow that therefore I can't wait to serve. Religion is, I feel like it's my, I have to serve. It's my obligation to serve. Somebody's got to do it because no one else will do it. I have to serve. No, serving should be because I've received so much. Amen. Come on. I've received a lot today in the house. So therefore, out of the overflow of the abundance of what I've received, I can't wait to serve Jesus. Amen. I can't wait to do that random act of kindness as a Christian. It's okay to open the door for a stranger. It's okay to pay for somebody's coffee that you don't know. It's okay to wave someone in in traffic and just wave and say, God bless you. Amen? Especially if you have a Christian fish on your car. That's really good. It's okay to do these things because, church, we are called, we are set apart. And we have an angry world right now. And we have been given the greatest gift of all time. That is Jesus Christ who came and he suffered on the cross for us. Amen? Amen. We just have to let him serve us. We have to let him serve us. You know, before I ever get up on this stage, i got to be honest with you, during worship, I always pray, God, fill me up. God, remind me that I'm your child. God, Remind me that you approve of me and that you love me. I'm reminded of it. Why, why, why do I do this? Because I don't ever want to get up on this stage to minister out of talent or out of uh, how hard I've studied. and all. I, I do study hard, but I, I, I want to be on this stage because of an overflow of what I've received from God. Amen? And I can tell you today, preaching is easier today because there was an overflow during worship. And, and, and I was there, and I was receiving it, and I knew right there, I said, Lord, I, I know it's going to be a lot easier to speak today because we've all received, and we, there's an overflow, amen? And out of overflow, I want to give, I want to worship, I want to serve. That's why being a Christian is the greatest adventure ever, amen? It's not boring, it's not dry, it's not dull, amen? I've been to some churches that kind of sometimes you almost wonder if they even want to be there. I preach in those services, and I'm like, what? We have the greatest gift of all time. Jesus Christ came to this earth, suffered a terrible death so that you and I can live free, freedom, and we can have forgiveness of our sin. Amen. We are set apart. So why then should you serve? Why should I serve? Because 
Jesus was our example, amen? And it comes out of the overflow. And if you serve and you never get filled up, you will burn out. If, if, okay, can, can, I, can, I, hopefully I, can, can I get a witness at 1120 on a Sunday morning that we serve out of overflow, amen? That, that we don't serve out of obligation. If you serve out of obligation, stop. I don't want anybody at Harvest Land Church serving out of obligation. But I want everyone at Harvest Land Church serving out of overflow. Because we love Jesus so much. And it should be our joy to serve. It should not be like pulling hair to get five people to serve or someone to help out do something. It should be, as believers, this is just because Jesus Christ is our example and he came to serve church, not to be served. I think I said on Wednesday night, and I for, forgive me on Wednesday night for keep using you, but I said, if you've been saved for a long time, you've been saved for more than a couple years you shouldn't be past the stage of always needing help. You should be at the point in your walk with Christ that you are now giving help and mentoring others. Amen? But I've met people who are saved for 40 years who still are just, just like they just want everyone to serve them and they just kind of sit back and just watch it all happen. Church, we need to be very defined in what we do in this culture we live in. No one can sit this one out. Amen? I'm speaking. All right, I'm going to close here in just a few minutes, but I need to read these last verses because Jesus taught this principle. This is the very last principle that he taught in John chapter 13 before he went to the cross. He did the greatest act of service and humility that we've ever seen. I'm going to ask Dean, would you come up here just for a second? He does not know this is happening. Will you just have a seat right here? You don't have to play the guitar this time, although you play it very well. What did Jesus do? I mean, he's been talking about that his time has come. He's been talking about that soon he will not be with them. He's been doing all these amazing, amazing things. And here he is, John chapter 13, with his disciples. Here he is at the end of his life, the greatest human to ever walk. He was 100% God and 100% man. Here comes Jesus. He gets down. Thank you. Oh, you're right on top. And he humbles himself. And now their feet were not as clean probably as yours, Dean. They're walking in the dirt and the dust and for miles with sandals on. They didn't have Bath and Body Works oils and soaps and lotions. <laughs> But he got down, he stooped down, and he washed their feet, knowing that he would be betrayed, knowing that he would suffer a terrible death. I would have been upset. I'd been like, one of y'all is going to do something to turn me in, and I'm not happy, and I'm going to be mad. But not Jesus. He was a suffering servant. And sometimes we get so upset when things don't go our way church. We have been called to be set apart, to be an example, to love people. Are you willing to wash someone's feet? Would you wash a homeless person's feet right now? Scrub them. Get in between the toes. Give them a mani-pedi. Well, mani- we'll see. Heather, where are you at? Mani-pedi. 
for the feet. We'll make it for the feet. Thanks, Dean. And I want you to get that image in your mind of what Jesus went through and what extremes he went to to prove his love. John 13, verse 1, let's read it. It was just before the Passover festival. Interesting, right? Passover festival, the Lamb of God is there. He is the Passover meal. It's awesome. (laughs) Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I would say he's there with his disciples. Most of his disciples were teenagers, most of them. These are young men who probably just were like full of like, we're ready to take the world. And they didn't know it's about ready to end, and they would be given the great commission. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God, right? His title, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off. He didn't use a nice towel that they provided. He just took off his own clothing, and he's like, I'm going to wash you with my Old Navy shirt that I just bought. And you didn't know that Jesus went to Old Navy, but now you do. He took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What an amazing picture. You got to love Peter, though, right? Peter, man. How many know Peter somehow just can't control his tongue? Man, he just would say stuff. He's like, no, Jesus, we should be washing your feet. Not you washing our feet. How many know that probably sounded so spiritual? Good job, Peter. You sounded really spiritual. Church, sometimes we can sound really spiritual. I'm doing great, Pastor. Things are fantastic. But really, there's a war going on inside. Come on. It sounded spiritual. Peter meant well, but Jesus was like, "Uh uh-uh. Unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. Whoa, that's, he dropped a bomb. (laughs) Unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. Church, we have to let Jesus serve us. Amen? Some people have a hard time getting their mind what that means. I hope you understand in just a minute. Peter said, okay. If that's the deal, then wash my whole body. Well, he actually said, wash my hands and my head. (laughs) He's like, wash everything. He had the right heart. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. He returned to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. Jesus said, I want to serve you so that you learn to serve others. He said, let my example show you how to treat people who are lost and broken and hurting. We have a gift, but church, we have a responsibility to tell people about the love of Jesus Christ because your story became his story when he turned your life around. Amen? And if that's the truth, we need to live that way. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you know them. Who in this house wants to be blessed? Gosh, I want to be blessed. 
I want you to be blessed. My family will be blessed. This church will be blessed. Our missionaries will be blessed. We have to serve. Jesus is modeling a suffering servant. And, and what, what Peter was missing is what a lot of us miss. Jesus doesn't wash our feet for hygiene, although we might need it. <laughs> Jesus washes our feet to demonstrate holiness. And I want to take this a step further because some of you might have missed it. Because I know a lot of people hear that word holiness, and we know it so well in the church. Holiness, set apart. And many times people think that holiness is out of our own effort, but it's not. Jesus is trying to show you holiness is something that I grant you and that I give you. We cannot make ourselves holy. God makes us holy. Amen? Through his son, Jesus Christ, and his blood on the cross. There's nothing that I can do to wash away my sin. But there's everything I can do through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? And he makes us holy. We just have to say, Lord, make me that. Forgive me of these things. Jesus makes us holy. It's not a work of our flesh or effort, but it's a work of God's grace. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask the worship team to join me. I want to pray for a minute for you, and then we're going to close by praying for Clara and Julie. See, Jesus was washing their feet to demonstrate he does his greatest work in your deepest mess. Any of you in this room ever been in a mess or been messed up or life is messy? You might be sitting here right now saying, like, man, you have no idea what I'm going through, what I'm living like, what, what's going on. Maybe some of you in this room don't even really have that relationship level with Christ yet. And you, see, Jesus does these things to show you he will come into your greatest mess. He'll come into that worst place, and he wants to go into that darkest area, that deepest sin, and he wants to wash that thing. He's like, I'm willing to get down right where you're at. And out of that area, he can do his greatest work. It's called your testimony. We all have a testimony. And I don't think anyone should strive to have a testimony. I, met, I had a young person who was like, Pastor, I don't have a testimony. What should I do to get a testimony? I'm like, don't do anything. Because that's the greatest testimony is someone who can, who can re, uh, like, reject all the things of this world. Amen. How many know that's a testimony too? Okay. And I've met people on the other side who have these amazing testimonies that God set them free from this depths of sin, this terrible place, and they sometimes become some of the most amazing on fire believers I've ever been around. Because they start saying, if he would love me so much to set me free from this, I want to do so much to, for him. I want to ask you just to close your eyes just for a second. This might be hard for some of you to do. I don't know, but hopefully it's not. I want you to picture yourself sitting and Jesus comes and washes your feet. Think about that. And as he begins to wash your feet, it's like the sin and the shame falls off. 
and you realize that all the things that you, we try to do to build ourselves up, to make ourselves look good, you look down and you see the Son of God washing your feet. How humbling is that? It puts things in perspective. Our life, sometimes we, we live our life for ourselves so, so often. We, we do our own thing, what we want, what makes us feel good. But I want you to know we are called, we are set apart. And God, I want to know what makes you glorified. I want to make, know what makes you happy. Picture him washing your feet. I want you to say this for me as you see that. Say, God, remind me of what you called me to do. Go ahead and say it out. God, remind me of who you want me to be. God, remind me of what it means to live for you. I'm ready to receive your forgiveness and serve out of the overflow. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Hallelujah. I say that all the time. God, remind me of who I am. God, remind me of my purpose. God, remind me of what it means to be a husband, a father, a son, a friend, a Christian. Let me, let me get back to the cross and be set apart from this world. God, you, you make us holy. You set us free. And I want to close with this illustration story. I don't want to ever take for granted that everybody in this room knows Jesus personally. I felt led to lead this story on Wednesday night, and I felt, I felt, I feel free to tell it this morning as well. Very short. But I had a young man in my youth ministry. And for all these years, I was his youth pastor. Matter of fact, I mean, I was there for all of his high school years and junior high and I mean I was there a long time and I got to know him his dad was an elder at our church uh, on the worship team just um, awesome this young man became one of my youth leaders matter of fact I promoted him to like he was part of our worship team and he started leading some of our worship team our youth band and and he became one of my right hand guys and I'm like man this kid is awesome he's just a great guy he would do anything for you and and Later on, when he was about 20 years old, one time, me and Pastor Keith Harris and, and him and this young man named Mike were out just talking. He said, hey, Pastor Pete, Pastor Keith, I've never given my heart to Jesus. Man, I was like, are you kidding me? You look, if I had to, like, draw a picture and, and explain what a Christian young person should look like, you're one of those people I would say, that's one. He's like, Nah. I never gave my heart to Jesus. He literally said, I just know how to do it. I know how to look like a Christian. I know how to act like it. It's called salvation by association. We feel like we're saved because we know people who are saved or we go to church. Guess what? We need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. That young man, he was young at the time. He's not anymore. He's got five or six kids. But he gave his heart to Jesus as we were driving to a driving range in a rental truck that I had. I just remember it so vividly. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you want to receive Jesus? He's like, yeah. No one's ever asked me. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I've been to camps and stuff, but no one's personally ever come up to me and said, do you know Jesus? I'm like, do you know Jesus? (laughs) 
I mean, how many know, like, it was very obvious, like, light bulb, boof. God was like, this is, I'll make this real easy for you. Gave his heart to Christ, started just living for God, radical life, and now he serves as an elder. His family's in church. Hallelujah. He's got, like, five or six cute little Italian kids. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so for 20 years, though, he knew how to, I saw him lift his hands. He gave testimonies after camp. I'm like, dude, what was that all about? He goes, I, I talk about everything, but like salvation. I just want you to know today, God loves you so much. And maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what? No one's really ever asked me. I'm going to ask you, do you know Jesus today? Because it's, I have to carry the burden as a shepherd to make sure my flock know Jesus and that we can be sent out to lead people to Christ. Amen. Please, would you just bow your heads one more time? If there's anyone in this room today, just lift your hand and say, I, I want to give my heart to Jesus today. And I can't always see everybody, so I'm just going to assume that we're going to pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, forgive me of all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, Jesus. I give you my life. I give you my heart. I turn from my sin, and I want to follow you the rest of the days of my life. Thank you for dying for me. And Lord, today, I can say that I am born again. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. That's literally all it is. And then we say, Lord, now what? Now I'm going to follow you. I'm going to live for you. I want to get discipled. I want to get in the Word. And maybe I'm talking to everybody in this room that's already on board with me. Guess what? Then this is practice for leading others to Christ. Amen? And say, now what? We have a book on the foyer coffee bar called Now What? <laughs> it's called, if you want to know what's next, read the book. It's right there. It's free. There's a whole bunch of them. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this amazing day. Oh, God, it's so good to be in your house. May we take these words, may we take this worship, may we now live out, may we live out our purpose, we live out the journey together of being Christians and, and families and friends and parents and kids, Lord, and just enjoying this great life together that you've given us. Let us soak in every day your beauty and your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing, I'm gonna have Clara, would you just come right here? And Julie, would you join up me up here? And Pastor Devin, will you join me? She is very connected to Trinidad. And I'm not sure if my wife, she might be helping out in one of the classes. Let's see her. Okay. Yeah, go ahead and come on up. So the Bible says many are called and few are chosen. These two have been called for a time to minister wherever the Lord sends. I know Julie has made many trips to Uganda and God's still working on that and there's more trips coming. But God opened up a door for her to go to Trinidad last year with our group led by Pastor Devin. And so she met some amazing people including Sister Sandra. So she's leaving soon for Trinidad. So we want to pray over her for safe travels. And Clara has said yes to a month's what's it, taste and see? It's called taste and see. And it's a month uh, journey. Uh, uh, where are you at? I can't quite see. Emily, are you back there? Oh, there you are. Okay. Emily did that back in the fall and came back in December. Well, she did something different, but it was three months. 
And Pastor Devin did something along those lines as well when she was younger. So Clara, I'm excited to see when you come back. You already have a lot of fire, but she's going to go to the next level. Julie, you're going to go to the next level. Amen. Let's pray over them. Clara leads tomorrow. We'll pray over you first because she leaves tomorrow. We're excited for you. And uh, God's going to do amazing things. Would you just stretch your hands out to her? And would you join too? Let's pray over her. Either one of you feel led to pray for her. I just want, I feel like the same thing. tremendous calling that you have placed on her life, that you have created her for a specific purpose. And I know that you have been revealing to her more and more steps. Lord, that you have just been lighting the next step that she should be taking, that she can't quite see the entire picture yet, but she is still walking in obedience to what you are calling her to do. And I know that you are going to honor that that you are going to bless her for that, that you are going to anoint her for the purposes that you have called her and created her for. God, I just pray that you would keep her safe as she travels and as she is ministering in a foreign culture, Lord. I pray that you would push her outside of her comfort zone and show her time and time again that every time she takes a leap of faith, you show up. God, I pray that you would increase her faith, Lord, that you would increase her anointing, and I just pray that she would be filled with you everywhere that she goes, and I pray that she would use her gifts, the gifts that you have given her, that you have created her with, that you have nurtured in her to minister to people. Lord, I pray that you would use her to save people while she is there, to just shine light in dark places, Lord, to bring joy to people who are broken and hurting. Lord, that she would be able to walk through Trinidad and learn how to minister to people, to show them the gospel, the power of your love, the freedom of your love, Lord, and of your word. God, I just pray that you would protect her mind from spiritual warfare while she's there. We just cover her with the blood of Jesus right now in the name of Jesus, that you would protect her, Lord, from dreams, Lord, and from any kind of fear that she might come in contact with while she's there. God, I just pray that you would use her and her team, that there would be unity, the people that she's going with, Lord, that you would just bring them together in love and that you would use them as a group powerfully to minister to broken places and hurting people, God. And I pray that she would come back unchanged and ruined for normal forever. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's pray for Julie here. Would you do that, ladies and her? Father, as well for Julie, we thank you for the mandate that she has, this mantle that she's picked up and said, Lord, I will go wherever you send me, whether it's into Uganda, Africa, or it's in Trinidad, or right here in Michigan, or in Texas. Lord, wherever it is, she's saying, yes, Lord, use me. God, we pray right now in advance for those children that will be coming to VBS with Sister Sandra's church. And Julie, Lord, anoint her. Take her to that next level, God. I pray, oh Lord, for many salvations, many kids to come to Jesus through this, this time or to be discipled in their faith. Lord, I also pray that Julie, Lord, would just be covered by the blood of the Lamb. Let there be a hedge of protection around her, God, going and coming back. Even while she's there, Lord God, that her rest would be plentiful. Her energy would be 
great. And her her sleep and her dreams would just be filled with God of, of you painting pictures in her mind. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity that she's been given to go and serve and help. Bless her. Bless everything that she does there in Trinidad as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.